So we're, we're going to end this series called The Good Life this weekend. This will be the last sermon as we've journeyed together through Philippians chapter 3, chapter 4. And so I'm going to preach one message this morning. And so let me just tell you, this is going to be a totally different message. Uh, I don't think I've ever preached a message quite like this. It's just, it's just a narrative. And, and so to try to help you understand this principle, because this principle I'm going to present to you, I really believe that there's a lot of believers that do not know how to live out this principle. I was one of them for, for a number of years, and so I, I want to help you with that. And so in your bulletin, there's sermon notes. And so those of you that have spent any time here, you know, normally I do like three points with some fill-ins. And so now it's just a scripture and it's blank. And so I had several people stop and say, hey, does this mean you didn't prepare? And so like, like you just mailed it in, and I'm like, no. And so, uh, so I want to preach this principle. So we're in this series called The Good Life. And so the principle I want to help you understand is powerful living. In other words, God promises us power along the way. And that's so important for us to understand what does that mean, power along the way, because, because here's the issue. At least, at least once a week, almost if not daily, that someone either emails me, calls me, stops me in the foyer, stops me out in public, and all of a sudden they begin telling me what they're going through, a situation that they're going through, a circumstance that they're going through, and in the midst of the conversation, they'll, they'll say, you know what, I just, I just need a little bit of help here. I just feel like this challenge before me is too great. I feel like I don't have the energy. I don't have the power. I don't think I have the power to face this crisis, to face this situation in my life. And so a lot of times people will say, you know what, I just need a little bit of help. And the Bible tells us that there's more than just a little bit of help available to the believer. Fact is, the scripture tells us that God desires to take his power and apply it to our situation. So this, this, this verse, Philippians 4.13, may be one of the most important or widely known or most common scriptures that people know. Philippians 4.13 says this. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or maybe you've learned it in a translation. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now listen, the context of that is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when doing his will, what he's called me to do. And so I believe this can be one of the most transforming scriptures uh, in the Bible, and yet sometimes it's the one that we have the most difficulty applying. In other words, I can, I can face, I can overcome, I can endure all things through Christ, all things through him who gives me strength. And so if we did, if we did like a poll this morning, and I just ask you, hey, how about a show of hands? How many of you guys think that God's all-powerful? Probably every hand would go up, right? Uh, you would not be here if you did not believe that God's, God is a powerful God. And if I ask you, well, how many of you believe that God desires to share his power with you, apply his power to your struggle, apply his power to your circumstance, your situation, probably, again, a lot of hands, every hand may go up. But then if I got into, like, application or made it real personal, and I ask you another question, and I ask you this, and I, <coughs> excuse me, and I ask you, do you know how to receive his power in your situation? Do you know how to appropriate his power in your situation? In other words, do you know, do you know how to make this verse work? Do you know how to make this verse work in your daily life, whether it's your career, your profession, whether it's your education, whether it's your marriage, whether it's relationships, your health? situations that you find yourself in life, in a life, I honestly don't know how many hands would go up. 
I mean, I don't know how many people could say, you know what, I've learned. I've learned Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I've learned how to apply it in my life. I've learned how to make it work in my life. I've learned how to appropriate God's power in my life. I've learned how to get the power of heaven down into my situation. I've learned how to appropriate his power, however you want to phrase that, into my life. And see, I think this is where the problem is. God wants to, wants to give us power. And God wants to apply his power to our situation. But we have to know how to receive it. We have to know how to appropriate it. We have to come to that place till we know how to, how to connect with him in such a way. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about this issue <coughs> of powerful living. How to receive God's power and use it in your life. And so for me, I believe, for me to effectively preach this, I'm going to take you through in a narrative... I'm going to take you through a bunch of stories from the Old Testament to the New Testament that I have found where a group of people learned how to make this verse work. They faced some unbelievable crisis. They faced some unbelievable challenges in their life. Fact is, if God didn't apply his power to their situation, it would have been really difficult for them. And so I think today, in helping to understand this, that maybe if we found some, some people of Scripture that figured this out and just look at them and and try to glean some things out. So your bulletin, sermon, there's, there's, there's really no points. Uh, this isn't a pointless sermon, though. <laughs> maybe, maybe the point is this. What's your next step? Maybe, maybe the point is this. How are you going to apply God's power to your situation? So maybe that's why the bulletin's blank. Maybe that's why there are not no blanks. So let, let's look at several stories, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, all the way back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 14, and I'll give you these references. You can read the stories. I'll read a couple of scriptures, but, but I'll help you understand the stories, and then maybe you can go back and read it later. Exodus chapter 14, it's, it's the time of the Exodus. It was shortly after the 10th plague, and then the death angel visited Egypt, and as a result of that, uh, Pharaoh like freaks out. And so he calls Moses in, and he tells Moses, he says, you know, get your people and go. He says, Moses, you and the Israelites, just get your people and get out of here. You can just, you can go. And so Moses gathered up the Israelites. Uh, they began making their migration to, uh, to the land of Canaan, or, or you may know it by the promised land. And so they're, they're making uh, tracks, and they're headed down to the, the promised land. And so a couple of days after Pharaoh doing this, all of a sudden Pharaoh realized he's made a huge mistake. Uh, he's, he's let all of his cheap labor go. And so as a result of that, the Egyptian economy is like, it's like in a nosedive. It is headed for a recession and probably into depression. And so the people are like pushing back because there's no more cheap labor. There's nobody there uh, any longer to do the jobs that none of them wanted to do. And as a result of that, the city, the, the land of Egypt, it, they're, they're in crisis. So Pharaoh comes to his senses, calls in the Egyptian National Guard, and said, I've made a horrible mistake. You know, the, the, the country is in a, in a downturn. It's in a recession. As a result of that, I need you guys to go get Moses and the Israelites and bring them, and, and bring them back. In a matter of hours, it's like the National Guard catches up with the snail's pace migration of Moses and his people. And so when the people of Israel... When they looked over their shoulder and saw the Egyptian National Guard bearing down on them, I mean, the scriptures, they fell apart at the seams. I mean, it was clear to them it's a no-win situation. 
It was clear to them that, that, that between them and the promised land is like an uncrossable Red Sea. And behind them, bearing down on them, is the, the Egyptian National Guard. And, and obviously, they knew it was with evil intent. And for them, this was like the makings of a slaughter. This was like the makings of a crisis that was too big for them, that, 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 that they didn't have enough power to make it through this situation. So as a result of that, the people freak out. And they tell Moses, Moses, we can't do this. You ever been in a situation like that? God, I can't do this. The crisis is too great. The hurt is too deep. The suffering's gone on too long. God, I don't know if I can do this. So they, they cry out to God or to Moses, and they says, we can't do this. In other words, we can't do this to get through it. We need a little bit of help. And so Moses answers their concerns. Exodus chapter 14, 13, he says, And so Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. In other words, God's going to apply his power to our situation. Conditional, if. So he's going to apply his power to our situation. For the Egyptians whom you see today, that crisis, that problem, guess what? You will never see them again. God's going to take care of it. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And so the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. You want to know how to get God's power into your situation? Go forward with faith. And God basically told him, you know what? Quit crying out to me. I've told you what to do. I've given you instructions. Just move, just go forward. In other words, Moses, guess what? Everything's going everything's to be okay. God's power, God's strength is going to be applied to our situation. God has told us to march towards the Red Sea. We understand it looks like it's uncrossable, but God's, God's going to apply his power to our situation. And the people cried out, where and when? And he said, somewhere, somewhere between here and the water's edge. Somewhere between here and the Red Sea. Now, all right there. What kind of answer is that? Would you buy that answer? Don't, don't put yourself over the story. Put yourself inside the story, in the story. What kind of answer is that? Just keep marching to the Red Sea. And somewhere between here and there, I'm going to apply my power to your situation. Let me ask you, if you, if you were following Moses, would you bought an answer like that? with an army bearing down behind you, with an ocean in front of you, and God telling you, just keep walking. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep going in the direction that I've told you to go. And so long as you do that, so long as you put one step in front of the other, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor your faith, and I'm going to give you power along the way. Not just any power, but supernatural power. The fact is, it's just so crazy. Verse 15, God basically tells Moses, quit praying, move. Man, so, so many times, and listen, prayer is powerful. I get that. I understand that. But prayer without action, prayer without stepping out in faith, this is what God's saying. Just quit praying to me. And put one foot in front of the other. And just do what I've called you to do. See, God is promising power along the way. This is powerful living. See, most of us, fact is, if you're like me, I'm not going to speak for you, but if you're like me, you, I want power before the crisis, right? I don't like to suffer. 
We like power before the showdown. We like power before the crisis. We like power before there's like any problem at all in our life. We want power before the, the water edge, the water's edge. But God promises power along the way. And as the people, it's just an interesting story, but as the people reach the water's edge, many of us know the story. As they reach the water's edge, all of a sudden God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through the water. God held the water back. They go through the water on dry ground. They get to the other side, Pharaoh and his army. When they got about halfway, God released the water, and it destroyed Pharaoh and, 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 and his army. And so God delivered. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He gave power along the way. Power because Moses and his people kept walking in the direction he called them to walk and kept believing that somewhere between here and the water's edge, God was going to do something. That's, that's the crux. That's the root of this verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me as I continue to put one foot in front of the other and do what he's called me to do. There's another story, Joshua chapter 3, still in the Old Testament. God called, tells Joshua, says, says good news, I've, I'm, I'm giving you permission to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Today, you're going to cross the Jordan River and you're going to the promised land. Now, now here, here's the problem with that whole deal. The Jordan River at this time, just interesting, God waited until the season of the year to where the Jordan River that borders the promised land would be at flood stage. Fact is, at this time, it wasn't any small river. It was a quite large river. It overflown. It, bank, it, 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 it spilled over its banks, and, <coughs> and so there's really no longer any bank at all. And so God tells Joshua, today you're going to cross into the promised land, and you're going you're to have to cross the Jordan River that's at flood stage. And the problem is there's no bridges, there's no boats, there's no ferries. There's nothing to help them get to the other side. And so God says to Joshua, no problem. I'm going to apply my power to your situation. And so here's what I want you to do. I want, to, I want you to line the people up. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, which, is, which was symbolic of the presence of God. It, and so I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to put it on the shoulders of the, of the Levites. And then I want you to, the people to line up and, and just walk and step into the waters of the Jordan River. And when you do that, I will stop the waters and you will cross on dry ground. I don't know about you, but I think if I'm, in, I'm, if I'm fourth in line marching to the Jordan River, I think I would accidentally sprain an ankle. And I think I'd bail out a line and say, you know what? You guys keep walking. We'll just see how it goes for you. But God tells Joshua, he says, I'm, I'm going to intervene. When? Somewhere between here and the water's edge. fact is, Joshua chapter 3, if you just read the story for yourself, you'll realize that the river didn't quit flowing until they were standing in it, until their feet had hit it. There was no bank they could have drowned. And God allowed them to cross the river on dry ground. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He applied his power to their situation as they continued to put one foot in front of the other and trust him. In the New Testament, there's a few stories. In the New Testament, John chapter 2 is when Jesus performs his first miracle. And Jesus is at this, this wedding feast, and, and the unthinkable happens at this wedding feast. Uh, they run out of wine. And that is like a terrible thing to do in their culture for a host, is for the host to run out of wine. As a result of that, Jesus instructs the, the, some nearby servants to go, hey, we'll take care of this. Just take, just take six large containers, 
go over to that water pump. It was just a regular water pump. Fill the six large containers up with water, and then they complied. And so when they filled the, the, the containers up with water, then Jesus simply gave them some more instructions, and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to take some cups, dip into the container of water, and I want you to take your cups of water over to the wine taster and get him to taste the cups of water. Now listen, that had to have seemed crazy for these servants. I mean, can you imagine you being one of those servants? Don't place yourself over the story, in the story. Can you imagine you're sitting there holding a cup of water, and Jesus says, now take this and take it to the wine taster. I would look at him and say, you know what? He's a wine taster, not a water taster. I mean, why would I even do this? But Jesus must have had a look in his eyes that something's going to happen between here and there. Power along the way. If you will simply be willing to put one foot in front of the other. So these servants had to feel very foolish as they started making their way over to the wine taster. And you know what happens. Somewhere between the containers of water and the wine taster, Perrier becomes Chardonnay. It turns to wine. And once again, we see this divine pattern, this, this issue of powerful living, this issue of, of simply power along the way. That if we will put one foot in front of the next, if we will keep walking, if we will walk in the direction that God has told us to go, somewhere between here and there, he will apply his power to your situation. But he'll show up. But if we're honest... We won't power before the showdown. We won't power before the crisis. But Christ says, the scripture says, that as we continue to walk is when he gives us power along the way. It's those next steps. It's those steps that, that appropriate the power of God in our life. There's another story in the New Testament. It's out of Luke chapter 16. Uh, it's when Jesus heals the, the ten lepers. Many of us are familiar with that story. There were like ten lepers, and, and just so, so we're kind of tracking this morning in, in the culture and the context in which the scripture is written, a, a leper in their time was a social outcast. When you were diagnosed with, with leprosy, uh, they believed in those days that it was contagious. We know now it's not contagious. And so, so they believed in their day that it was contagious. And so as a result of that, in their culture, if you had leprosy, that you were a social outcast, you were kicked out of the city limits. And so you lived in colonies outside of the city limits with, with other lepers. And so you were cut off from relationships with family, with friend, uh, your local church. And all you did was live and exist outside of the city. And so they were... Ten lepers, and they're hanging out, and all of a sudden they see, they see Jesus making his way up. They see Jesus walking by. And they begin to have this conversation with one another about should we even try, should we even ask. Uh, we need a little bit of help here. I mean, we need his power applied to our situation. And, and they start having a conversation. Does he have the, the strength? Does he have the ability to help us? Could he heal us? And so all of a sudden there's like this one leper that says, well, let's, let's just give it a try. And so they start screaming, Jesus, we, we need a little bit of help here. We need your power applied to our situation. Could you have mercy on us? Would you heal us? We need your power applied to our situation. And so Jesus simply responds by saying, not a problem. Go show yourself to the priest. I mean, walk into town, show yourself to the priest. Now, a little bit about that. The priest of their days, they were like the health department. 
It was the priest of their days where they served as a health department, and so they determined who was sick and who wasn't sick. Uh, they determined who had leprosy, who didn't have leprosy. They were the ones that diagnosed these lepers with leprosy and, and, and said that they had to live outside the city limits. And so now Jesus is telling them, why don't you go into town, show yourself to the priest, show yourself to the health department, and, and maybe I'll apply, and I will apply my power along the way. Can you imagine these ten lepers looking at one another and having a conversation? Says, so, so he wants us to do what? He wants us to go into town to the, the priest, the health department, and for them to tell us what we already know we have? We, we, already, we already know that we have leprosy. I mean, that's why we live outside of the city limits. That's why we sit around and watch each other die. And so maybe they started having a conversation. said, I'm not going to go. Are you going to go? I'm not going to go. Are you going to go? And then maybe, maybe one of them. Maybe one of them says, guys, what do we have to lose? What, what if he does what he says he's going to do? What if he applies his power to our situation? I, I'm going. And all of a sudden, all ten of them begin walking to the health department, the priest. And maybe Jesus was just waiting to see if, if, if they had enough faith to do what he told them to do. Maybe Jesus, in your situation, in your crisis, in your circumstance, maybe he's waiting for you to do exactly what, what he has called you, what he has asked you to do, and then he's going to honor your faith. He's going to honor your steps by applying his power to your situation. Luke chapter 17, verse 14, he says, he says, when he, when he saw them, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, go and show yourself to the priest. And listen, the last part of verse 14 is like highlighted and underlined in my Bible because it's just such a wonderful principle. And watch it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Power along the way. It's powerful living. The scripture, listen, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the scripture over and over and over says, God is more than willing to intervene supernaturally into the problems, the hardships, the struggles, the crisis in our life. But he wants us to demonstrate our faith first. He wants us to be willing to take the next step. He wants us to be willing to put one foot in front of the other. And do exactly as he has called us to do. Fact is, what the scripture tells us is he blesses our obedience. There's there's one last story, and then uh, and then we then we'll pray. Uh, Luke Luke chapter nine. There's a story told of, of Jesus, and, and so let me let me give you some history. Uh, the disciples, apostles, had been out doing ministry. Uh, they show back up to report to Jesus, and they're like bragging. They're telling Jesus all that they had done, and and then Jesus wants to teach them this principle. Jesus wants to help them understand how to get his power applied to their situation. And so we'll pick up the story, Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Here's what the scripture says. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. So they're having this conversation. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. So he started preaching. They're doing a worship service. So Jesus is preaching. So he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. 
for we are here in a desolate place. So they told Jesus, Jesus, hey, we, in other words, we need to end this thing. In other words, this, Jesus, Jesus, well, my favorite phrase in the whole thing is the day begin to wear away. That's just a nice way of saying Jesus preached way too long. That is just a nice way. It's like, like Jesus ignored the preaching clock. He's ignored how long he's been preaching. He is just like up there. He is preaching away. Uh, they've already missed the kickoff of the Bronco game. Now he's preaching the second quarter of the Bronco game. People are kind of starting to complain. We didn't TiVo the game. We didn't know it was going to go on so long. We're probably going to miss the entire game now. The apostles and disciples are getting upset. They're getting concerned about this whole thing. And so it's like, you know what? Someone needs to talk to him. No way to, there's no way to run a church. There's no way to grow a church. So no, someone needs to go talk to Jesus and tell him, you know what, Jesus, great sermon, one of the best sermons we had, we've ever heard, but instead of trying to preach it all now, why don't you break it up into some places and they can just come back next week. And so we need to, we need to land this plane because we're, we're worried about the people. And so in other words, Jesus, we're, we're like in a, in a desolate place. And so, and they're getting hungry and it's getting late. So the Pizza Hut is about ready to close. Burger King is about ready to close. McDavid's is about ready to close. And all these, nobody's gotten that McDavid joke yet. (laughs) And I thought it was funny, but anyway. And so all these restaurants are about ready to close. And so, you know what? We could, Jesus, we could listen to you preach all day long. But it's the people we're worried about, and they're getting hungry. So, Jesus, we, we're concerned about the people. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys concerned about the people? Yeah, we're concerned about the people. They're hungry. And so Jesus says, you know what? You give them something to eat. And if, if you're worried that they're hungry, you give them something to eat. So verse 13, it says, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, this is so interesting, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. In other words, Lord, we've already thought this through. Obviously, you haven't. We've already thought this through. We formed a committee. We're 12. And so we've gone in and we've surveyed 5,000 people. And here's what we've learned. There's only one little boy with a sack lunch. Uh, his mom made him a sack lunch. He knew he was going to be out. Uh, fact is, they were at Red Lobster last night, the night before, and they got a to-go bag, and in the to-go bag is like two pieces of fish and five Red Lobster biscuits. We love their biscuits. You know how we love their biscuits. And so, so there's this one little boy. We've done a survey, and all he has is two fish and, and five Red Lobster biscuits, and that's, that's, not, that's not enough for the people. And not only that, where, where would we even get the food? I mean, how could we even buy enough food? See, that's, that's the problem, and that's a lot of times what discourages, right? When the, when the showdown is coming, when the crisis is coming, we try to figure out how God's going to take care of the situation. See, that was the disciples. Jesus, you only have two options. Sack lunch, or we're going to have to go buy food. A lot of times the reason we get discouraged is we try to tell God, God, how you're going to fix the situation. God, how you're going to take care of the situation. And then Jesus spoke to them, verse 14, and he said, he says, for there are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever worked with people. (laughs) Can you imagine standing up and saying, okay, all you 5,000 people? We need you to gather in groups of 50, and we're going to feed you. 
and the emails start coming, right? Uh, we think it, we, we have a better idea. We can't believe you're going to organize us in group of 50. We're not doing that. I mean, it'd take too long. We'd starve to death before the food comes. Uh, why don't you consider a buffet line? We, we think you should do a buffet line. Because uh, if not, we're just going to, you know, it's, it's not just one. It's going to be multiple food lines. And they push back and say, well, you know, this is what Jesus told us to do. What you, no, he didn't tell you that. You missed Jesus. You, you missed the whole deal. And so you guys don't know what you're doing. I mean, I don't know if you've ever worked with people, but people always have, a lot of times, a better idea, right? And so verse 15, and here's, here's what, what they did. Verse 15, it says, and they did so and had them all sit down. So everybody was obedient. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. So Jesus now has the five loaves. He has the, 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 the fish. And he set a blessing over them. That's important. Then he broke, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the crowd. So here's the crazy thing about this story. A lot of people believe that it multiplied when Jesus prayed over the fish and the rolls. And I think that's what a lot of people miss about the power of this story. And Jesus says, you know what? Give me the fish. Give me the, give me the rolls. I'm going to pray over them. So he prays over them. They open their eyes and he breaks them in half. And hands them back to the disciples. And can you imagine? Don't put yourself over the story. Put yourself in the story. Can you imagine being one of those disciples? And, and, and now then you're looking at that food and you're about ready to feed 5,000 people. And you're like, uh, it didn't multiply. fact is, you broke it. It's just me. But you know what I think I'd do? Jesus, would you like to pray over it again? <laughs> Maybe a little harder. Maybe a little longer, because Jesus, I think, we have a, I think we have a problem here. And Jesus responds to them and says, it's blessed, just give it out. Just give it out. The blessing comes, I'm telling you, the blessing comes and power along the way comes in obedience. And then you can read the story for yourself, but as they began handing out the food, Listen, I'm telling you, it's so important. The bread and the fish don't multiply in the master's hand. It multiplied in the, the apostles' hands. The miracle, the miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands. It happened in the apostles' hands. When they put one foot in front of the other, they were on the front row seats of God's blessing. And in other words, it has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. And there's a lot of people that look at sometimes at, at, at their resources and then they, they look at, at their life. And God can use you in the same way that he used the apostles and he used the disciples. That as they begin giving it out, it, it was blessed. And in other words, this, it has to be given away before it can be multiplied. Can, can, can you imagine the apostles? Can you imagine if they, they had all these resources that could bless these people and they kept it for themselves? They ate the fish for themselves. They ate the bread for themselves. But they were, they were willing to give it out. They were willing to give it out for a group of people. And they, See, the apostles learned that day that you cannot outgive God. That God's resources are not limited. They're unlimited. And the scripture tells us that the reward of the good life is, is blessing. The good life is when God's power is applied to your situation along the way. The good life is when you and I understand that we may not understand how God's going to answer this crisis, this struggle, this situation in our life. 
It may look like an uncrossable Red Sea or an uncrossable Jordan River. It may look like a situation to where, you know what? We're trying to figure out how God's going to do it, but we cannot figure out how God's going to do it. And if we'll take and put one foot in front of the other and trust him, it's power along the way. Philippians 4.13 says this. It says, I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can face, I can overcome, I can endure. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Question for you this morning is this. Are you in a situation, are you in a crisis? Are you headed towards something that you know that's there? And you need his power applied to your situation. The way that you do that is by being willing to take the next step. By being willing to put one foot in front of the other and trust him that he's going to apply his power to your situation along the way. Would you bow your heads with me and, and close your eyes?